Welcome to Travel Worth Living, a travel podcast helping to share stories that matter from around the world. My name is Seth, and I'll be your host today as I talk with Shannon, a comedian from Ireland currently living in New Zealand. We chat about how he gets paid to be a comedian, what it's like writing jokes, and what he enjoys most about comedy. Shannon also shares stories from his many international travels. While in Thailand, he and his friends had the opportunity to participate in Song Kran, the New Year's celebration that gives water fights a whole new meaning and created some lifetime memories that are not cherished by everyone. Also, health is important even while traveling. Shannon learned that the hard way in Vietnam. If you'd like to connect with Shannon after this episode, you can find him on Instagram at sbgcomedy. Also, I want to say a quick thank you to all those who have left a review and rated my show, no matter which platform you listen on. Your support really means a lot, and I always love hearing your feedback. Be sure and connect on social media after you listen to this episode and let me know what you think. Alrighty, now let's get to my conversation with Shannon. Well, Shannon, welcome to Travel Worth Living. So excited to get you on here. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here um, at this early time in the morning. It's fantastic. Get me... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the joys of uh, the joys of speaking cross across the world. <laughs> Look, I will say this, you know, it is one of the benefits of being in New Zealand. I will, you know, we, we are still allowed outside and we, you know, I can get up early in the morning to do a podcast. That's fine. You know, it's we haven't got it. All. It's, it's not great trying to um, they talk to my parents and stuff and friends back home because at the moment it's like a 13 hour, uh, 13 hour diff- or 12 hour difference. So it's. It's really difficult to kind of stay in contact with them, but um, we can do pretty much anything over here, so it's it's not too bad, you know. <laughs> I'll 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 take that. I'll take that. I'll take the um, being able to go and get a coffee um, over the time difference. It's it's pretty good. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. You say uh, talking to your family back home. Where are you from? Uh, so I'm from Ireland. Um, if you couldn't tell, uh, <laughs> I'm from Ireland. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, like, okay, so I, I am Irish, but um, there's a, I was born in, in London, in South London in 1988, and I lived there for four years, and we moved to like the west of Ireland, which is where all the really romantic, fiddly Irish movies are made, because it looks really Irish, that I was there, I lived there for like 12 years, and then I, and then I moved to like Carlow, which nobody knows. Uh, when I meet Irish people over here, I'm like, I'm from Carlo. They're like, no, no, no idea. <laughs> it's really, really small. Um, it's like one of those, it's a really, really small town, but it's got like all small, small towns. It's just like just the biggest characters and it has like a really good music scene. It's like, how is any of this here? This doesn't make any sense. But yeah, no, it's a great, great little place. No one, no one really knows it, but um, I had a lot of fun there. Um, yeah, so that's where that's exactly where I'm from, and I'm calling from Wellington in New Zealand. That's where I've been for the last two two years. Wow, what made you move to New Zealand? Um, they had a one year. They just reinstated their one year working visa, and we were like, hmm, "That's well, <laughs> as as most decisions are made by Irish people. This was made in the pub." Um, on a Saturday about seven o'clock, I just looked at my phone and I seen the, I seen they had a visa and I was like, "Oh, this doesn't look too bad." <laughs> and, why not? And we, we, why not? It, well, we were we we okay okay. That's that seems a little bit flippant. We we were actually uh, 
planning on backpacking around Southeast Asia. We're planning a trip. And I was like, well, well we're we? all the way up. Who is yeah, we? Yeah, oh, sorry, me and my fiance. Okay. So you had you had Elena on before, didn't you? I did, yes. I did. So uh, the, the best friend that Elena was talking <laughs> about is is my fiance. That's awesome. Right, so that's 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 yeah. So um, I think I think I I think best uh, fiance Trump's best friend, doesn't it? I I think so. At least sometimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on the situation. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to ask Elena, but I don't I don't know how she she'll probably beat me up for that. But that's fair. Yeah, uh, we might be <laughs> we might be discussing a sensitive topic here. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know I love Elena. So I met Elena when so the whole like the whole how the whole traveling. Like, one of the things that kind of brought my mind to travel. So, we, me and my fiance met. Uh, she had booked a trip to go and uh, live in uh, in, in Nordvik, in, in just just a bit north of Amsterdam, and she was doing like a trip in Europe with Elena. And me and Ashley had started dating, and then I went to visit them over in Nordvik, and that's where I met Ashley. Well, I'd already met Ashley, but that's where I met Elena as well. And it's when I stayed in uh, one of the backpackers there, it, it really kind of opened my mind because there was people from all around the world, my age, younger and older, who were just like traveling around Europe with a backpack. And I was like, oh, you can do this and not be a millionaire and travel around the world. Like, I, It's something that I'd never thought about too much of, of, of actually traveling. It's, 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 it's something that actually came too much later in life. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I, I traveled quite a lot when I was a kid. My, my mother's French. Um, so I would travel to France every single year for like a couple of months. So I had done quite a lot of travel. So I just was like, oh, well, I kind of went the opposite way. I was like, I like to hang out at home for a bit because I'm, I was always traveling. I sound very privileged right now. <laughs> we, we, stayed, we stayed with parents. It was, it was family. It was a family holiday. It wasn't, it wasn't all good. But we, well, like, well, I traveled quite a lot, so it's kind of like I just want to spend a summer, like, at in my hometown with my friends and stuff like that. And I kind of kept that attitude for a lot, about six or seven years, where travel kind of wasn't in my plans, and now I haven't stopped for the past four or five years, really. Um, so it's been, yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And for those who haven't listened, uh, I talked with Elena on episode nine. Definitely for uh, people who haven't heard that one, go listen to that. It's amazing. But yeah, Shannon, so how how many languages do you know? Sounds like your your mom's French, your dad's Irish, I assume. You uh, yeah. were born in London. Like, you've been all over the place. <laughs> so I speak London. I'm very good at that. <laughs> I used to... So I have quite, so, like, I have quite a... Uh, uh, a neutral accent at the moment because of, mm-hmm. I used to be much thicker. Uh, but I, when I moved to London, I had a full-on like South London. Oh, my! Is like when I was like four, and uh-huh. I just imagine this image: I was four, and long blonde hair, and I sounded like this, my right. And where I went in Ireland was like, oh, how are you getting on there now? Do you have an old cup of tea? Like it's just the complete opposite of the scale. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. I, I lost that accent real quick. Um, but I, I only so I speak obviously speaking English. I, I can't speak Irish. Um, I'm not very good at languages. I can I can I can 
understand French like pretty much nearly 100%, but I haven't been over there in quite a long time. So in terms of actually speaking it, it's kind of, I'm at about 60%, I'd say, at the moment. Um, and I've never been to Italy, even though my mother's from there. I think I've, I've, I've kind of been in there once when I was really young, but I've never actually gone there. Oh, your so mother I only lived speak in to, Italy. So, my mo- so no, sorry, <laughs> she didn't. Oh. So she had the same thing as me, right? So she, my granddad is Italian. Yeah, I got you, and got he, you. He would bring them to Italy for their summer holiday, just like my family would bring me to France. Yep. His, he would bring them to Italy, and um, by the time I moved there, I think all of the families from Italy had, were lived in France. They all fled during like the Mussolini area era, era. so they all had to uh, flee to France. My, my my granddad was like kind of an activist and a, and, a, and an author, so he had to like get out of out of um, Italy real quick. So he was too all outspoken. of my two oh two okay crazy story. So on the train to France, uh, my my uh, great uncle, which is my my grandfather's brother, was actually assassinated on the train by the blue shirts by Mussolini. He was pushed off the train. Um, because he was, he was as outspoken as my granddad was. He was like a hundred times more outspoken, and they, they, he did not make it to France. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah. So, so I, we didn't go to Italy much. <laughs> is, is what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's like, so, um, yeah. Don't. I'm not really interested in going back there. No, no, no. Oh, I am, but um, I don't know. It, it, I've been over that side so much. I'm like, I want to go further because I feel without being there. And this is, this is very much. Uh, 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 I don't think it's a good way of thinking. I feel like I already know it very well without actually being there because I've been to France and the south of France a lot. And I'm like, Italy is the same, but I think I, I think I get it uh, <laughs> without having been there. Uh, but I still really want to go. I want to do a tour of all the. Um, my big big dream is to do a tour of like a lot of the big football stadiums. That's awesome. Yeah, I eventually I, I'd love to get to Italy. There's some beautiful country there. Yeah, no, I've I've been to Malta, which is I know much yeah. further south, and yeah. I stunning. It was amazing there. Really, really cool. Really, really cool. I loved it there. Um, only only on a holiday, but it was cool. Yeah. So, uh, you are a professional comedian. That's that's what you do for a living, right? Okay, so every comedian has a secret job they do. That's 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 where <laughs> so you make I your real a, money. Yeah, it's where I make my actual money, and then I I, I, te- I so I, I've been doing comedy for about two years now in New Zealand, and it's pretty much a full time job without any of the pay, um, for the first ten years is the way a lot of it goes. Um, I am being paid. But I'm not making money. There's a big. I've learned that there's a big difference between being paid and making money. Um, but New Zealand is a, is very. <laughs> it's a, it's so we're the kind of this prime opportunity at the moment where we are the only country that is able to kind of tour and perform to full rooms and and there's no social distancing. It's all just as normal. Um, That's amazing. So like. When I came here, uh, there isn't so much of a, a circuit here. You've got one comedy club in Auckland, and then a couple of places that 
like in Wellington have like two or three places that have comedy and that are good venues, but they're not like a comedy club. They're, they're kind of getting there. So there's only one comedy club. So you have to like self-produce pretty much all over the country if you want to start uh, gigging um, uh, much more frequently. So at the moment, you're kind of at the the start of a, of a circuit here where you can see all the comedians because they can't go anywhere. They can't go. A lot, a lot of them would have been in Edinburgh this year. There's so many comedians stuck here <laughs> because they came for the fringe last March that they're just still here. Like my, my friend I'm, that we're kind of, we kind of toured together. Uh, we just did it, just did two nights, uh, one in Wellington and one, we went down to the South Island and I just got back last night. Uh, we did two rooms and like we we both booked those gigs together and we we produced those and we've been doing that pretty much since since last year and we've kind of been creating your own circuit while you're here so it's a lot of fun it's kind of in the baby steps where you can pick out all the spots you want to go to put on the gigs and then tell other comedians this is a good place this is a good place you know you're trying to kind of create a trail that that everyone can kind of um to work off so that's that i think it's been great for the scene here um but yeah that's 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 the comedy that's the that's that's i made money this weekend with that <laughs> nice <laughs> i made money this weekend it was the, the ferry was expensive and i was worried we wouldn't cover it but we did we had a lot of people in on saturday night and a lot of people in on friday night so yeah it was very good it was very good that's awesome. I love uh, listening to your podcast where you get super real with other comedians and talk about like being being the funniest guy in the room. I can't remember which episode that was, but that was hysterical. Yeah, tell well, me about your okay. podcast you're doing. So, uh, I'll defend myself. I sound like I sound like a bit of a bit of an arsehole. Uh, <laughs> so, if you go, so uh, there's a, there's the way I do I describe this. If you're if you're someone who's being paid to do comedy, right? And you're in a room full of people who aren't. Technically, you're the funniest person in the room because <laughs> yeah. you know how you know how to be funny, okay? And it's not it's 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 it sounds like a bit, a bit of an ego thing, but it's like there's there's like a, a a toolkit and also almost a process to comedy that you understand that people who aren't uh, practicing comedy won't won't get. You know what I mean? Like if, if yep. you if you're if you're a musician, you can play guitar in a room with people who can't play guitar. You're the best musician. I think it's it's easier to say that because people go, "Oh, he has a guitar." There's a thing there that I can't do, right? So I'm definitely not as good as him. But if you see someone who's funny, like, "Oh, I can do what he's doing. He's just talking. It's just it's what it is." So it's more so about the understanding the kind of the process and how comedy works to be able to say things like, "I know I'm the funniest person in the room." <laughs> but the humility factor is going into a room full of comedians and knowing you're not the funniest person in the room and how hard you have to work to get to that. And then you have these people who are just amazing and, and hilarious and you're like, well, I don't like them because they, they're very funny and they don't have to work as hard as I do. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's always this little competition, I'm sure. It's funny. So on stage, everyone tries to outdo each other in a kind, it, no, but not in a in a in a in a kind of a rivalry kind of way, because because if you see someone doing really well, he goes, "Oh, I want to do that." So you bring you bring the right energy in the green room. It's it can be it, to be honest with you, most of the time it's very very relaxed and not not kind of a competitive nature. We we kind of 
make fun of each other and, and, and have fun about the show. And that's more about creating an atmosphere of fun. So when you go on, like if you go into a green room and no one's, everyone's sitting there very quiet and not talking to each other, and then you're trying to bring a good energy on stage, that doesn't, for me, that doesn't, doesn't necessarily work. I have to kind of be, you know, having a bit of fun backstage. Um, and sometimes, sometimes not, but I think a good atmosphere like that, but you give space to, you give space to people to be quiet, but you also give space for people to kind of build their own atmosphere. So when they're going out on stage, you're not, you, you're already really loose. And that's, yeah, you're of kind of building where, up that energy instead yeah, of trying yeah, yeah, to exactly. snap you right can, when you walk out. It's, you're kind of curating the energy backstage to bring it on stage because the, the you can have the best jokes in the world, but if you look like you're having a terrible time, you're not going to be funny. I've had material that I know works, but I'm having a like a bad day in my head. Like oh, this is going to be a terrible, this is going to be a terrible gig, and then I go there, and it's a great gig, but I've already kind of convinced myself it's going to be bad. Go up on stage and have material I know works not work because I wasn't in the right frame frame of mind, um, and I've done the same material like the next week in a great frame of mind, and it's you know, done really well. So it's a lot about the, the kind of the, the mental preparations, you, you know, um, that's, that's, that's the fun, the fun parts about comedy that you never really know what you're going to get. you like, you know, it's, it is very much a mixed bag. We went to this gig on Saturday night where I don't think there'd ever really been comedy before. Like in terms of, there's been like, and not to be disparaged of local comedians, but like the Gary who I've gigged with has gigged all around the world. Has been done Edinburgh multiple times. Is you know he's a seasoned pro, so like yeah. bringing that level there, but you still don't know who's going to turn up or if they're going to get a lot of your stuff because you don't know who's going to be into comedy there. And there was such a mixed bag of people. You're talking people from 19 to 65, all in this little room, and you're like, ah. Oh, I hope this works because <laughs> you, you know you don't, you don't know you don't know really sometimes and you know sometimes yeah. it does sometimes it doesn't yeah that's so the, cool. well, yeah go ahead sorry oh I, I was just gonna say like that's a completely different world to me so it's so uh fascinating hear you talk hearing you talk about this what is kind of like the process you go through for writing your jokes and setting up for a, a show um so the the answer i love to give is that I write for an hour every day, and I'm very disciplined, and that's how that's how it happens. Um, <laughs> the reality is, I, I I write so I free write as much as possible. Okay, so that's basically you don't have anything in your head, you don't have a a, a subject or a topic. You just you just write and write and write. And I, I find you do that, and maybe four or five minutes in, you get kind of the dust off your brain, and then kind of real things start maybe start to come up maybe they don't but creating that practice the more you do it the quicker you get the dust off your brain you get to maybe something that's happened to you during that week or that day something you're thinking about and you go oh there could be something there and then you almost you find the seed and then throughout the day or or, or the week you're kind of thinking on that and say, oh there's a little there's a little tag there there's a little joke there and then you go oh i like i can can I fit a premise around this little kind of nugget that I've found? Um, and now what I do is if I find a premise or, or something very small, I'll just bring it on stage straight away and just kind of riff on stage and sometimes try and find the funny in the moment 
but I've been thinking about it for two or three days. I've been thinking about it for two or three days, but I bring it on stage without too much prep. And I think the punchline's here. I'll, I'll hit that, then see if anything comes out of that. And that's a way I've been kind of using now to write uh, more. So it's a, it's a bit more, it's not as structured as I would like, but it's a bit more freeform. So I'm thinking of the idea, bringing it on stage, watching the video back and going, okay, there's something to work with here or it needs more work to, to get to, 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 so the audience can understand what I'm talking about. Because even though you're speaking English to an English-speaking crowd, it's amazing how people that aren't inside their own mind do have no idea. Like, you can set, you start talking about something, and not even, like, with references, just general thoughts, and people are like, yeah. I have no idea what you're saying. And you're like, okay, that made no sense. I have to go back and translate that from my brain so the general population can understand it. But, yeah, so the process changes quite a lot. I, I try and write as much as possible. Um, and I will edit jokes and stuff like that over over time. But a lot of it is is just coming up with a nugget, going on stage, and then rewatching the video, which is where I've come. Actually, that's where a lot of the writing is done is rewatching the material. Going, oh, okay, okay, and this and this might segue into another bit I have, and you can see why your bit did work, even though the words are correct. Your the way you, the way you deliver it was was all over the place. Maybe you weren't looking at the audience, or or you did something earlier in the set which made that not work. Like it, it made it fall down. So yeah, that is that's kind of the process at the moment. But I, I'm sure it will change. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's interesting. Yeah, working an audience can be tough. Trying to, I mean, different audiences. You might say the same joke the exact same way, the exact same you know, style, everything's the same with you, but the audience could just be in a different place and different energy. And I'm sure that would make it tough. Yes. Okay. Now I've fallen down on a couple of different schools of thought on this because it's your job to get the audience to where they need to be. Like, like you can blame something now. There are cases where it is kind of on the audience and they're not, they're not your audience, but, you don't know whether that's the job. So does the MC, his job is to set kind of the rules of the night and set the energy of the night and be like, hey, these are jokes. This is what jokes sound like. You laugh when the like. I'm like this is like this is like some of the like the MC comes on, talks to people. You know, we'll do like, hey, what's your name? Where's your, where are you from? They're like, I'm from here. He goes, oh, that's a terrible place. Ha 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 ha. Like that's. <laughs> It's like it's it, it, start or, building or up that energy, exactly. And then the, he'll do some jokes, and it would be like very much da 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 ba da da, you know, in their style. But it gets them people used to the communication of premise, setup, punchline. So people are in the rhythm of jokes, and then you bring the comedians on, and look, it's up to you then as a comedian to get them on, get them onto your wavelength. And if you're not doing that, like. I did this. I did this gig, and it was during level two, so like the tables were separated, so the, the mood was already a little bit off. Yeah, you know, because people were like we came here to forget all of this, and now we're having to sign in and sit away. We can't get up during the show, and every comedian on that stage that night, like, just it was like it was what <laughs> one of the comedians was on stage, and the other comedian turned around and was like a really good poem he's doing because <laughs> it was just like nothing the crowd 
were given like it was it was ter- and I was I was I was I had to go on last. Um, this is an open mic, so this is not a boast. This is this is just like oh, you're on last. I like, fine, and I had to watch, and everyone was get maybe one or two laughs, and then silence for like four minutes. It was the oh, roughest man. night I've ever had. And then I went on, and I think I got a laugh at the start, and then just just nothing. But I had fun because it was so te- it was a car crash. I had a lot of fun. I was I was laughing more than the audience. It's <laughs> not the way to go. That's I was laughing at the situation. I couldn't make anyone laugh, but it it was in that moment everyone was so down after that gig. It was like, God, that was terrible. That was terrible. I was like, Look, we're like the, the, no no one there was a pro comedian during a couple of years. It was like we're not at that level where we can turn a room around that's like that. So that's a skill. It's a skill of turning a room around where there maybe they might not be your audience. They might not be. Um, in the right mood or in the right frame of mind for whatever re- reason, you know, not just the MC, yeah. could be whatever's going on. Your job as a comedian is to make them laugh and to get them kind of get get their energy up and get them onto your wavelength. That's that's kind of one of the one of the jobs as a comedian. Now there are cases where it's just not your fault. <laughs> Very, but I think I think they're few and far between. Um, I think it's it's you know and, and I think you have to be maybe slightly realistic which is, maybe I'm being I can be slightly harsh in terms of the job of a comedian but I think it's your job to get them on side um, and sometimes that's hard so yeah. it doesn't work no I can imagine and uh, you've toured around a little bit one of the things you mentioned was uh, doing stand-up in Cambodia so <laughs> first of yeah tell me about that experience and how do you kind of what is it like doing comedy for different cultures, different people in uh, different countries? Okay, so this was my first ever stand-up gig was in Cambodia. Um, I had yeah, no, was, I, this there wasn't. There, <laughs> so we, my friend of mine who is comedian, uh, uh, J- Jason Brennan, very very funny guy. Um, I had met him. Uh, a couple of months prior at an open mic in Dublin, I just went to watch and I recognized him. I was like, I said, do I know your brother? And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I didn't, I was like, oh no, I said, no, sorry, that, that, that ruined the story. I was like, do you know Sean? And he's like, yeah, he's my brother. And I was like, Sean's your brother. Like we had literally been living beside each other for about 15 years what? and ne- never met. And I was like, oh, I just, I just, I just bought a car off his dad. Like, this is how this is, our families know each other really well. And we met in Dublin. And I was like, oh, cool. And then, then, then we kind of connected on on social media. And then uh, we went. Uh, myself and Fiance were in. I think we we're in. We we're, were in Laos at the time. And I got a message from Jason saying he was going to be in Cambodia in a couple of weeks. So we met on um, on, on one of the islands in, in in off just just off Cambodia, and we went to watch. Conor McGregor fight versus Khabib at like six o'clock in the morning, and look, it we were got quite drunk. And at one stage, I would I was when I was threatening to do comedy, I was I was I was in in my head I'd already started without doing any gigs. And the owner was like, "Oh, what are you guys doing here?" And I was like, "Oh, we're both comedians. Um, I've never done comedy before in my life." <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh, no, we're both comedians." And he's like, "Do you want to do a gig here?" I was like, "Yes." And that I was your first forgot. joke. <laughs> yeah, that was my first joke. That was uh, very good, actually. <laughs> and 
I kind of forgot about that. And then the owner of the bar walked past the two of us who were very hungover on the beach the next day. And I was like, are you, are you two still good for that gig? And this is when I had to turn around to Jason. I was like, so we're doing a gig tomorrow. <laughs> I kind of forgot. Also, I've never done stand-up before. What do we do? Um, <laughs> so we ended up doing like in a sports bar. Um, and I think there was about 10 people there. I think everyone, mostly, uh, mostly an, an expat crowd and a couple of locals. Like, it, it, went, it, was, it was the weirdest, I think, first time I think you do stand-up because it was, it was just in a corner of a bar and it was all open and uh, there wasn't any microphone or stage. And I just, I did like 15 minutes the first time doing stand-up, which... I think I told two jokes in that 15 minutes. I just went off on one. It was, <laughs> it, I don't know. I still have the video. Um, I have, I watched it back after, but I didn't do too badly. Um, I don't know if I'd say that now if I watched it, <laughs> but it was, it, it kind of got me into the rhythm because like Jason's very funny. Jason did really well. Um, but that's where I started doing it. And then I was like, okay, when I moved to New Zealand, I've got to kind of go hard when I, when I got here and, and I have been. So it's, it's, it's in terms of talk, doing it to different audiences. You see that here in New Zealand, just by city, you can get a good feel of a city by I think the com the, the comedy. Um, Wellington is quite it's very liberal, very progressive. So if you go up trying to do some like darker stuff, it's not it won't go well. And I think I feel like well it can do, but like if you try and some more. Kind of left field stuff. Um, you, the audience can kind of shy away from that. But if you go to say somewhere like Auckland, um, there, which is, I would say, it's a bigger city, you can get away with much more kind of risque stuff up there. And you go to the smaller towns, and some of the stuff you do, because you just, they just won't laugh. Like I had a woman on Saturday night who just stared at me for the whole twenty minutes I was on stage. Like just, just deadpan. Just she's like, I giving me nothing. I was like, I was like, this, this, and the room, like the the room was. This is what happens with comedy. This is this this is why we always get like labels being really neurotic. Like the whole room was having a great time. Just one woman was just staring at me, and I was like, why don't you like me? <laughs> Do you? That that Why? must mess with that must mess with your mind. You're like, man, I, I'm I'm not I'm not being funny somehow. Like the rest of the oh, room, they're I, just playing with me. This lady, oh yeah, she dude, knows like, what true comedy is. Like, Look at these idiots laughing at these stupid jokes. These aren't even even good jokes. This lady is clearly she is Jerry Seinfeld's mother. She knows everything about comedy, and I'm just I'm just a hack. And it's just one woman. And it turns out when, my, when Gary went on, they were the drunkest people in the audience. They tried to heckle, and it came out like, "How do you?" And the whole audience was like, "What was like?" I was like, "Oh, they just couldn't understand English at that point of the night. They weren't judging me. They were just having struggling with basic cognitive fun functions. So that made me feel better. But then, like, you can't get that moment back where you're like, that went all right. But you know, it's." <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, it's you learn to just play the room as it's dealt and just have fun. Um, and that's one of the things like, I think traveling taught me that 
uh, I don't have any expectations of wherever I go. I try and do with very little research. Also, it helps that my fiance does all the planning. But, <laughs> but I try and have very little expectations, and I like to um, to just go and just take everything. I, I, I'm a quite slow traveler. Wherever I go, I like to spend two or three weeks somewhere just to get the vibe of the place. And and maybe I, you know, you don't see all the say the touristy hotspots or stuff like that. But I get to know the people there and get to know what like a day-to-day life is as much as you possibly can in the small time you're there but you get to see like the routines of people who are living there and who are working there and that's you know the expats and the locals that's that's what i love doing i love just walking around just watching people kind of go through you know the day-to-day day-to-day life and just seeing how that differentiates from what i know or would have expected of the of that place i think that's that's one of the biggest things that i i got from traveling um Definitely, and, and it's one of the things you get from, like, as a comedian, you travel a lot, but you don't see a lot, because you travel, like, I was on, we left on Friday, we Saturday morning at six, my house, we got to the town at four, the show started at seven, 7.30, and we had to be on the road by eight o'clock the next morning, so I seen yeah. a restaurant, the Airbnb, the venue, one bar, then the Airbnb, <laughs> and then a stop for coffee, and then onto the onto, like that's that's what I've seen. But I, you know, you, you, I travel like six, four, five, six hundred kilometers, and that's that's kind of what you see in one those one or two nights. Um, but you get a sense of the people. I think you get a, a, a small sense of the place as well when you're traveling to do stand up. You know. If you get a bad audience, you be like, "Oh, that place is terrible." <laughs> but if you get a great audience, they're like, "Oh, it's amazing." Never trust travel advice from a comedian because it will always be based on how well they did in that town. <laughs> if they do badly and it's the best place ever, they're like, "No, it's a terrible place. Stay far away from it." <laughs> That's that is good advice. <laughs> yeah, never because we don't. First, of all, we don't see anything. Yeah. We don't see anything, and it's all based on how good we like. I think listening to the other podcasts of like the pro comedians, they talk when they go on the road, it's like spend a day or two in the city and plan out things you want to do there. And like that to me is my ideal life is like travel, do a gig, spend two or three days somewhere onto the next place. That's perfect. But they're making a lot more money where they can afford to spend two or three days. So that's the goal. The goal really is to be able to travel and do comedy and just kind of hang around a place for a couple of days, see the, you know, see what's happening around there, and move on to the next spot, and then stay local for a little while. But uh, yeah, that's 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 kind of the aim, you know, because it's uh, Ashley loves traveling; that's her biggest passion, and I love comedy. So it's like, oh, we we put the two of them together, but at the moment we're just driving to an Airbnb, doing a gig, and I'm like, look at all the lovely sights from the car. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's awesome. And spending those couple days at the locality also helps create jokes for your audience because, I mean, people love uh, when you mention insider jokes. You know, it just makes them feel... I, I, don't, I mean, I love it when comedians do that. It's like, oh, they know they know about that. That's hilarious. It's, it's also... They know, but another, another comedian was like, it also shows you care about yes, the place true. you're in. True. It's, and I think, I think that's... That's the thing that gets the biggest laughter is like, oh, you actually have bothered to take like I wrote a joke 
there was there was so a liquor store beside the Ministry of Social Development, and that's where people get unemployment benefit uh, in in New Zealand. So I just like I was a quick joke. It's like whoever uh, owned a liquor store, you know, definitely saw there was a gap in the market because who needs beer more than people who are unemployed, right? So right beside each other, uh-huh. and the whole route like it was. It's like it took me two seconds to write. You know, yeah. it's just a silly observation. But I think that was my best. I think that's. I think my biggest laugh of the night. They're like, oh, he gets it. It's like, no, you show that you care. You want to, you want to give them. Because people go, oh, I love being here. And where, where am I? Oh yeah, you know, you can, you can kind of forget where you are sometimes. So I try and do just one joke at the start to let the people know. Yeah, I've seen their I've seen their little town. Here's one thing I noticed. There you go. And and it's, it, I think it's, it shows that you care. But but it also, you know, it, it does ingratiate yourself to the audience because they. They know that you get it, or that you're you you you've you've taken the time out to kind of know the in joke, yeah, um, yeah, which is a, which is a handy tool for any new comedians listening to this. Do that, and the audience will like you for the first thirty seconds. Then then you better be good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, uh, if there are any any uh, listeners who aspire to be a comedian, what would be some advice for you on how to get started? Okay. My my first answer is always don't because I don't want more competition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I I want more and more people to do comedy. And it's terrible. I'm one of those people when I start doing something and have fun with it, I'm like, oh, you should try it. You should try it. You should yep. try it. And I realize that's not good advice to give everyone. Um, the hardest thing about comedy is starting. The, the all the fears with performance and how to like. I didn't know how to write. <laughs> A joke before I started. Like it took me a while to figure out how to write a joke. I'm still not all the way there yet. It's still to write a perfect joke. It's quite a lot of time. And mm-hmm. um, the best way to do it, and the way I did it, was I went. If if you're like me, you watch a lot of stand up. You go, oh, I want to do that. That looks easy. That's because you're watching professionals do it. Um, and that's quite daunting because you're like, how am I going to be funny for an hour or whatever it is? The thing is, the reality is, you need to be funny for six minutes which is still quite hard to do. But you need to see someone at your level. So you go to an open mic and go to the worst open mic you can find and go, okay, I can do that. Like you, you see what your level, your entry level would be because people aren't good at it. People are trying new material and the audience don't hate you. They know, they know what they're getting. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is just, this isn't such a big, it's such a big deal. It's, 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 it makes a much smaller step if you see the level that you're going to be en- entering at, you know, it's like, you know, you go to martial arts, you're not going to be fighting the black belts. Yeah. You just can be learning to punch for the first six months. So I think go to an open mic, um, go, go to one, watch a couple of them and actually watch what people do and try and see what you like and what you don't like uh, in terms of how people are on stage, not so much the material, but like how people act on stage, how were the people who were good, what did they do? differently from the other people how did they hold the mic you know did they bring notes on stage it's totally fine to bring notes on stage if you're an open mic i still i still bring notes. i write them on my hand as a prompt you know but it's mm-hmm. it's knowing all these little inside things that make it a much smaller jump um to do that and once you do that like everyone will do stand up for the first time and then won't do it for another three four months it's generally the pattern um, and I, I would say to people, 
try and get on stage as much as possible at the start, even if you're doing the same material, even if it's not going well, if you want to do it, you have to get used to silence and having bad nights. You'll have more at the start. You'll have more way more bad nights than you'll have good nights. But then you'll start having good nights, and then the bad nights are kind of. I kind of, I kind of like look forward to bombing now, like in a weird way, because you're like, well, that went really like I something's gone wrong in my in my pro- in the process of yeah. setting up for gigs or my schedule. Like, oh, this is a really good reality tra- check when a hundred people hate you. You're like, oh, okay, okay, that's on me. That's okay. I'll I'll figure this out. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And that's 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 kind of I used to be very afraid of that. I'm still afraid of that, like at a big show, not doing well. But you know, at a small open mic, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what you need to do. You need to figure out: does this material make any sense? Am I doing it correctly? And the, there's no better motivator than silence. So that's it, to get that into your head. That the, first of all, comedians don't care if you bomb as well at an open mic. It's not. I had it in my head: is are oh, these people going to think I'm really bad? Because you know I didn't get any laughs, and they're like, "Oh, that was they're like good work," you know. They're lying because <laughs> it was bad, but they're like, "Hey, we don't really care as long as you're like putting in the work and trying stuff out. Happy days, we're happy. You know, people are generally happy to see new comedians. I think that's the first thing to do: go to open mics, see what you like, try and try and you know take the best bits out of the people you've seen, um, and and just try and have fun up there look like you're having fun which is hard to do but that's that's the best thing to do uh, and record your set record your set look back at it get used to that and then keep doing it that's 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 really the, the, the best the best that's the best way to start is to just go to an open mic I love and it. sign up yeah i i think that's so important for anything what you said about uh, if you look at the professionals, like the absolute pros, you're going to get discouraged. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. So that was that was very insightful. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I need to remember that <laughs> sometimes because I'm always like, oh, I want to be like that person. And then I start doing it and I'm like, well, shoot, I'm terrible at this. doesn't matter what well, it is. It's, it's like, like your podcast and my podcast have very different um, ways of prepping a guest. So you actually prep a guest, and I don't. <laughs> so it's like I've learned from you. Like you know, I, I've been doing this, but you you learn from other people who who are who are doing doing the, the the same discipline or even completely different disciplines. There's always there's always a kind of a through line where you can go, oh, I I can relate to that. I think you see like a lot of comedians will get along with athletes, and I think Joe Rogan has made MMA like our our number one hobby for some reason but there there is there is a there is kind of like a, a, a an almost uh a connection goes you know how hard it is to be bad at something for really long and how hard it is to get good at something so there's an instant connection there um it's, fu- it's funny i was I was just reading a book recently and uh, by malcolm gladwell called blink it's about making like really really snap de- uh, decisions in the blink of an eye um and he brought two people who you never think would get along together. So it was like Marines and traders off the floor of Wall Street, right? And you think these guys don't have anything in common, you know? But the thing is, they're both high-level critical decision makers. 
Mm. At very different ends uh, ends of the scale, you know, people do it in an office and people do it on the battlefield. But he brought these two people together to help with like a war scenario, and they got on so well because they're used to making extremely quick decisions, so they already have that in common. So it's funny how you know you, you see that with with a no matter what the discipline, if you're doing the same practice but on a completely different sport or business, I think people find a connection there. Uh, really quick. I think that's why. I think that's one of the reasons you make all your best friends when you're traveling because everyone's just in the same, in the same spot. Everyone's like, "Oh, you like this?" And like, of course you do. We're in this, you know, this is what we're yeah. doing. You can become. I think you realize you can come from completely different backgrounds when you're traveling, but you're kind of getting. You have that instant connection. You have the instant connection. Yeah, yeah, once you talk, sorry. it just goes deeper and deeper. It's just like you have, you know, the love of travel. You have the love of uh, expanding your worldview, meeting new cultures. And, and the more you talk, it's like, oh, we have so much in common. Yeah. You have so much people, people in common. You've been talking to for five minutes. And it's, yeah. I think that's that's the great thing about travel. You, you get to see people. I think I became, some ways, less judgmental, and in other ways, way more judgmental as well after traveling. Because <laughs> you've been, oh no, I, you know, it's funny how it works. Ah, the way, like tr- people say, travel like it broadens your horizons. I think it does, but it also makes your world much smaller. Um, because you now, like that village in Thailand, you now know it. So if it comes up on the news, you're like, oh, I know that. Like it, it, it makes more places around the world, kind of like your, your pseudo hometown, no yeah. matter where you've been, where you've spent, you, you've been. So it's, it does broaden your, your, your view, but I think it makes, it makes the world seem a little bit more like, like a local town. It's all part of your global community. Speaking yeah, of Thailand, yeah. speaking of Thailand, um, you experienced, you celebrated Songkran there, right? Yeah. I, I was there for my first four days in Song in thailand and they're like hey this water festival gets pretty wild <laughs> and i was like cool yeah I how was in... that, that what was... is it yeah first it's of all the... what is it it's the thai new year and it's it's a festival so so it's it's they they it, it's you kind of wash away all the bad stuff from last year by throwing water on you and shouting happy new year now where i was um <laughs> yeah i think somebody did it wrong last year messed up 2020 Oh yeah, I think they. Were, I think they were using diesel last year, maybe. Um, <laughs> Somebody brought well, a match to the party. Someone brought a match. It's like, oh, is this not how we do it? No. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get we'll get them next year, buddy. Um, First for, timer's for, mistake. For, <laughs> for our for our, so we were kind of uh, not apprehensive, but we had no idea what we were going to get ourselves into, and. Um, we met my, my friend, my, again, a friend group that uh, Elena will know that they all met in Amsterdam. We all met in, in, in Thailand. This is like six years later. So we're all in, 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 in Songkran in Thailand. And we went out and bought like water pistols first thing in the morning because they're like, hey, this, it just becomes a big water fight for the day. And obviously there's a lot of alcohol consumed. And it got a little bit like it got to the point where, you know, the, t- the new tourists were coming in for the day, had no idea what was going on. Just saw everyone throwing water at each other. Like we were having fights with the bars and the hostel across the road. It was great fun. And and then the, you saw people coming in who weren't wet and they had just got on, you know, the tuk tuks and the backs are exposed. So yeah. what we did, 
which we thought was fun because we jumped on the back of the tuk-tuks and sprayed everyone with water pistols on the inside of the tuk-tuks and then jumped off and just kept doing that. And some people thought it was fun. Most people <laughs> did, did not enjoy it. But we're like, ha- thing is, it's a great get out of jail free card because once you do that, you go, Happy New Year, and you jump off. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> but <laughs> so on, we, we were having this battle with the hostel across the road, and it's maybe about two o'clock in the day. And this guy was had this big bucket, and he's like, Oh, pretending to throw it. He's like, Oh, and then my mate ran out and like tipped over his bucket on him. So we're like, Yay, we won. But as he was walking back, I think he turned around really quickly and he walked straight into one of the Hilux fans that was literally like he got hit by a truck in the middle of the road. Um, like he got hit quite hard by the truck. And we were like, oh my God. And he was just like, ah. He's like, I think he just bruised a rib. It wasn't too bad. But like all you hear is the tr- truck go boom. And um, my, my fiance was f- filming something in the distance. And she didn't know Lawrence just got hit by a truck. She's like, what's happening? I was like, Lawrence just got hit by a truck. And she's like, oh, my God. And then later that night, we were looking at the footage. And somehow, while looking at something else, she actually caught Lawrence getting hit by the truck on camera without having any clue what actually happened. Um, so we have that. Fo- it's quite funny. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's a very Laurel and Hardy moment. It's very, very funny. Um, oh, yeah, we did that. That that was that was a good introduction to Thailand, but the, I have one memory, and it's like this is could be a hallmark like card. Do you know what hallmark is? Mm, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like okay. the most cheesy production company. <laughs> yeah. So I have I had a hallmark moment in Thailand, right? And it should be every single backpacker's had ever. So we're in 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 um uh, Koh Phayam, which is uh, just off the border uh, well it's about 12 15 minutes on boat to Myanmar but it's still part of Thailand lovely little island um, they only got electricity like three months ago on the island before we got there really really cool and we were sitting there in the, in the hostel all, all kind of talking and it's, this is again one of the parts of traveling like I had a guy like uh, a dad maybe in his mid 50s with his, with his kids another guy who's been traveling all his life again mid to late 40s some young people, some younger people my age, and then like people from all over the world. And one of the dads is like, "Oh, so the the glow worms, the the bioluminescent are out in the sea tonight." And I was like, "Oh, cool! I'll check that before I go back to to our to our hut." And Ashley Ashley was asleep, and I I had quite a lot of beers at this stage because it was it was about midnight. I walked back, and like I went into the sea, and like, I just started moving around the sea and it just started glowing and I was like what is going on like it was insane how uh, how vibrant it was that night but then like I looked up and like the whole Milky Way what you could see the whole Milky Way in 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 the in in the sky then there was also like a, a, a lightning storm happening at the same time so like, you could see the Milky Way there was thunder and lightning but like the glowworms were in the sea I was just like everything was going on at once and I was like oh my god so I went in very drunk very wet and woke up my fiance and pulled her out of the bed and she was like what are you doing I was like come and look outside it's amazing and she was very angry until she saw outside and then we stayed in like the sea for like an hour and it was just it, it was insane it was really incredible and it's like oh okay 
because like there's no light pollution there. There's just seven different types of weather happening at the same time. You know, the sea's glowing. I was like, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Man, what an experience. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Hallmark probably won't condone it because I was a little bit drunk, but, you know. <laughs> I put, that... I woke up a sober person, and so it definitely did happen. <laughs> yeah. No, that that would be such an amazing experience. Unbelievable. Like, we saw them in Cambodia as well, but it wasn't as wasn't as uh, as bright it was insane oh it was like playing mortal Kombat with the sea you know you're just like how do you can and i was like oh look <laughs> it was really fun it was really cool yeah that was That's that was awesome. a good that was a good time that was a good time um yeah we uh <laughs> we, we stayed in this is one of my favorite things that happened in vietnam we were staying in hanoi in a hotel and then it was i think it was fine, you know. It was, we were backpackers, so it was pretty, pretty, pretty. Um, it had everything you wanted, but not how you wanted it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we, you know what I mean? Like that. Technically, it had everything you said it did, but you know, with a little bit, just a, just not a little the most bit convenient, not not the not most convenient, right? No. Yeah. And and we were staying, and it was it was it was back in the city centres. It was perfect. And we came back one day, and this this other guy greeted us. Says, "Hey, look, I'm the new man. I'm the new owner." And I was like, "Oh," I, I was like, "Oh, he." In my head, I was just like, "Cool." He must mean like manager, because the other staff have left. Because you know they 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 do sort of like two weeks on, two weeks off. I was like, "Hey, I'm yeah. the new manager." No, no, no. He was the new owner of the hotel, so they just changed hands in between everyone staying there. And then he just started renovating the hotel while everyone was still staying in there. And we came back one day and there was a skip outside. The, we couldn't get up the stairs because it was just like wood and doors and furniture all just thrown out into the skip and concrete. And I was like, oh, he's like, I'm doing some renovations. I'm sorry. We won't do it late at night. And I was like, okay. So they're completely remodeling the hotel when there was like four or five guests still there. And uh, one night, one night, like I, uh, there was there was this group of just was all these workers coming from like the third or fourth floor, and they just had like those like buckets that they carry on their heads full of soil. And I was like, where are they getting that from? Like it's just concrete upstairs, but it's just reams of people bringing down just clay. And I was like, where? I was like, okay, all right, we're going tomorrow. <laughs> it's like I don't know what to do in here. But if, I felt like we were part of a heist movie. Like, oh, yeah. we bought this hotel. We're going to drill through here. Somehow there's a garden on the third floor that no one knows. It was, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a fun sign. I was really in the swing of Asia. There. Just, it all happens. It's, it's great. I was a big fan of that. Big That's fan awesome. Of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are some. Those are such cool experiences, man. You just never know what, and and that's what you get when uh, you don't stay in um, hotels or uh, what do you say resorts. You know, like the really tourist places. It's so much more fun to stay in hostels and stuff. You've got to get into chaos. You've yeah. got to get part of the chaos. Like that's what I learned. <laughs> I know my stories are from Thailand, but a lot of them are, are like I learned like with transport when they say one bus right what that means actually is seven buses a taxi and a bike ride like 
I remember I asked this one guy, uh, we just used to play a game, it was like, how many modes of transport do you think it's going to be till we get to where we're going to be? So, like, so like two buses, they're like, yeah, yeah, two buses, I'm okay. By that time, we said two buses, I think we got a boat, a boat, straight away, we got a boat, and then we got a taxi, then we got like the, the little minivan taxi, then into back of a pickup truck to another bus, and then I think we got on another boat and then a guy pulled it on his back of his moped and then brought us to the other boat. Like, I was like seven different modes of transport. I'm like, that's bet, bet two. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of that. I love that. Because you kind of were used to having a ticket that kind of details yeah. where we're going. And now you have, you don't have anything. And they're just like, get on. The, the, the people will find the backpackers and they will just put you onto anything. And you've just got to go with it. You just gotta to learn to be like, oh, I'm just, I'm being taken for a ride. I'm gonna end up. I always ended up where I was supposed to be going, but it was always funny. And even though we spent like nine months there, even after eight months, you go, I don't know if we're going to where we're supposed to be going. I'm like, it doesn't matter anymore. We're going somewhere. We'll end up somewhere. It'd be fine. Yeah. Just but yeah, long I, for I, the adventure. I, yeah, it was just long for the adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun traveling. I, I really enjoyed it. Is you just. You just every day is there. Even if you have a like, what we say, a, a, you have nothing planned. Something's gonna happen. Something somewhere. Um, I saw I saw a, a complete ceiling collapse when it was in Hanoi in a restaurant. Just just the you know like the the um, like the office the kind of st- styrofoam. Yeah, the plaster. Yeah, stuff. yeah. So it's just this old lady and uh, a guy in the restaurant, and I walked past, and the whole ceiling just just collapsed. And the old lady just kind of took a bit of the ceiling out of her noodles and just kept eating. And the whole place <laughs> had just fallen around her. I was like, yeah, I like that kind of, that's the kind of energy I think I'm all about. She's like, look, it's not ideal, but there's no point getting in a fuss about it now. I'm going to finish my food and then we'll deal with the fact that the ceiling's fallen through. And the whole thing had like, just fallen through. It was very funny. Priorities. Yeah. Yeah, priorities. Exactly. Exactly. That's not going to be that. That's not going anywhere now. It's already went where it's going to be. It's on the floor. It's fine. And if if she put it up, it might just fall down again. So Uh, there was no putting it back up. There was it was in (laughs) it was like a jig. It was an impossible jigsaw puzzle that was on her floor that had come from the ceiling. There was nothing. There was no fixing that. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. Speaking speaking of restaurants in Vietnam, you wrote. Wrote something that I'm very curious about. You got you got fat traveling around Vietnam. Oh yeah, I got I got real I got Vietnam fat, which is the thing that can happen. <laughs> so I lost all the weight, but I, Vietnam was. I love Vietnam. I, first of all, ban me. I, I, I had my first ban me in Hanoi, and I think I went back to the same place every day and had like three three in the morning. I was like, these are amazing. And then like beer is really cheap there. Beer is like twenty. Like we were getting places like twenty cents. So I was like, well, it's crazy. I'm losing money if I don't drink. So I just like got a lot of beer wet and banned me wet. And there's a very funny picture of me like in the middle of a hike, a really picturesque background, and me eating a banana and just a huge beer belly hang. <laughs> and I'm just like, I was like, it's just. What you shouldn't be. I, I don't look like I've ever walked a day in my life in that picture. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. It's a trying time for me. Um, but uh, I lost. I was just. I don't know. I think I'm the only person who went backpacking and got fat. I don't know. I don't. It normally happens the other way around. 
But um, I don't know. My my body was like, we're gonna this metabolism is gonna slow right down. We're gonna take a holiday. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, that was interesting. I didn't realize how big I got until I saw that picture. I was like, oh god, all right, that's new. You know, I put I put on a medium like singlet, and it was really tight. And I was like, that's just these small Asian sizes. <laughs> and it was like, no, buddy, you just got fat. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was. Um, I'll I'll send that picture in as the one you can use for the episode. Let's do it. That'll be awesome. <laughs> I, I used it as my art art as festival pass last year. I was like, "Who's this guy?" I was like, "It's me." <laughs> so that would be funny. Yeah, they had to put their pictures on posters as well. They weren't too happy with it. But I was like, "Nah, it's funny. It's it's okay." <laughs> yeah, you you can't take life too seriously. You got to laugh at yourself. <clears throat> it's literally ninety five percent of my material is laughing at myself. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. It's funny. So you also, so audiences here, they're very reserved, very quiet, and they don't like kind of mean stuff. Even though, like, well, you're you're from Amer- Amer- American side, are you? Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, I think America obviously, is, I think, has the longest standing tradition of stand-up comedy. So you've got, you've got, you've gone to di- much darker places with it, and it's kind of expected, and the but the audience is trained. To know that, not not here, uh-uh. it does not work. People are very reserved, and you'll hear a lot of times in the audience go, "Ah," and you're like, "No, it's a <laughs> joke. It's fine." Like in Ireland, we have extremely self-deprecating self of humor. You know, yeah. we're very, we love to complain. Everything's terrible, but we laugh about it. That's how we get it out. You know, here it's very different. They'd like to. It's the opposite. It's a more positive approach to things first. You know, and we like to get the. We like to get the bad stuff out straight away. I think America's kind of similar in that way, is that you can kind of jump into those darker territories much quicker than over here. Um, hmm. So I've learned that. Yeah, it's it's funny. You look, you kind of learn. I won't say the psychology of an area, but you you kind of get snippets of what the overall um the kind of psyche of of a country is by dealing with these small pockets and what works and what doesn't work and. Um, I've learned that you know the 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 Kiwis they, they're always up for good fun, um, but sometimes the the dark stuff is much harder to pull off here. Where I think, you know, you're 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 not you in Ireland. It's like it's all just terrible jokes. It's all just really dark, and then it's really silly. So yeah. we we love that. We love that. Yeah, apparently the the humor here in Iceland is also dark. I mean, they they really love just dark, depressing humor. Uh, they but... <laughs> it I, it must be just like the the culture it's the climate here. man yeah it's exactly <laughs> it's a, it is i i spent i only spent a couple of days in iceland and i i i was like this is the place this is where i want to go because there's you can just get a house and there's no one around i'm like that's where i want to be they're right there and i i, I like the way i like the attitude in Iceland to a lot of things. I like the way they just like jail the bankers. I'm like, oh, we're not paying any of that money back. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I was like, I love that. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to put us in jail? A country? They have like four jail cells in the country. And I was like, I was like, that is insane. I was like, oh, we're, we're, we're there. Like, oh, we're building a new prison. It's like, how many rooms? Like, just four rooms. An extra four rooms in the prison. I was like, okay. It seems like the place to be. Um, <laughs> I really liked it there, and and I like the way like it's it's strange when people go out in Iceland at night, like they don't start going out until like two in the morning, isn't that mm-hmm. is that true? Yeah, 
I, I feel like sometimes, of course, uh, we just moved down to the city last spring and then COVID. So I can't, I couldn't tell you okay. as much, yeah. <laughs> but okay. that's what I've heard. Yeah. Because we, because we, as Irish people, were out at like nine. We're like, that's very quiet. And they're like, oh, people don't start going out till four. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a problem. We're not going to make it till four. Um, <laughs> like Iceland gets its reputation as being quite an expensive country. I remember being there in 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 one of the whiskey bars, uh, just in, just in Reykjavik, and uh, there was a stag party there from Manchester. And a stag party in Iceland was like, I couldn't believe it's been like oh, we spent two grand already. We've been here like one night. Like two nights, like there's like I can't pay my mortgage because we went on a stag party. To yeah, <laughs> it was the strangest, strangest location because all you do on a stag party is you just you go and do stupid things, drink loads. But like Iceland, beautiful country to do it in. But you know, the like guys are getting on snowmobiles after getting in at like seven o'clock in the morning, only after stopping drinking. They're like, well, I was like, oh god. They all made it home okay. They were great guys, but um. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was a very expensive place to go on a stag party. Yeah, I can think of a lot cheaper places. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, man, we could we could keep talking for hours, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with the rapid-fire facts section. Do you prefer beaches or cities? Beaches. What is your favorite city that you've ever visited? Someone said Singapore, and I did not like Singapore. Because I felt like, well, chewing gum was illegal, and I felt like I was getting watched everywhere I went. It's not Singapore. Uh, I didn't like Singapore. It was great for the first day, and then I was like, oh, this is weird. Um, favorite city? Can I say Dublin? Yeah. Because it is yeah. my favorite city. It is my favorite city, is Dublin, which is technically very the wrong answer because I didn't, I live there. So, but that is my favorite city, is Dublin. But Love hey, it. that works. What is the worst food that you've ever tried? Oh, uh, I got nasi garang in uh, <laughs> in a bus park that had probably been eat- that had- yeah, it was a bad decision, and I knew it was bad at the time, but I was like, I feel like I should try it, and then instantly knew I shouldn't try it, but then I ate it all, and yeah, that was pretty rough because I don't know when it had been cooked or anything, like it was just in like a pouch. That's probably been there a long time. And I was like, ah, let's let's try this. The locals are eating it. And I was like, ah, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You yeah, know, that was I think that was the worst one. That was in Indonesia. The locals had a the locals had a different immune system by that point. I don't even think the locals were eating it. I think that's how bad it was. <laughs> I actually I think I made it made that I, I think he was just like, please just I was like, okay, I'll help I'll help you out. And then I ate it. And I was like, ah, oh, that was a mistake. The locals were like, don't don't do that. And I was like, no, 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 I'm do as the locals do. Like, yeah, we're not doing that though. And I did it anyway. Yeah. That's that's hilarious. Um, do you prefer group or solo travel? Um small group. A small I group. It. Uh I, ha- I I like traveling solo for say sometimes for the, for a for a comedy show because I, I could just get in the zone, but for like actual travel, small group is a big big preference. I really like that. Yeah, I don't like big groups, but like two or three people, perfect. Uh, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live permanently? Uh, New York. Nice. 
Um, yeah, and rent rent is going really cheap there at the moment, so my my true. future is looking good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, New York is is the dream, or or Reykjavik actually. After being there, I really liked it. So New York or Reykjavik. I like it. Uh, yeah, now's the time to go buy real estate in New York. Not Reykjavik; it's booming here for some reason. But yeah, <laughs> it's booming. It's safe. It's booming like like that in New Zealand here. It's booming. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer train or bus travel? Train. Yeah, I think I, I know this. Train. I think I know this, but do you prefer a strict schedule or go with the flow? <laughs> oh, go with the flow, baby. Even, <laughs> even with a strict schedule, I'll find a way to go with the flow. I'm. Te- I had to plan our trip at the weekend, and it was a not, like I just I, I I I'd look at the ticket and go, we have to be on the ferry at this time, and it would change every single time I looked at the ticket. I was like, oh, I don't know, like one o'clock, and they're like. Shannon, no, it says there with me at 12. I was like, yeah, but, you know, they're not going to leave. And, yeah, so I'm very much, uh, I'm not allowed to plan my even my own trips. My fiance did that. Because I, I just booked tickets. I go, hey, can I do some gigs? I'm like, we don't have anything for you this week. Can you just get the dates and then book a ticket? I'm like, that makes more sense. So, yeah, no, definitely go with the flow. That's hilarious. Uh, what is your favorite airline that you've flown with? I like Air New Zealand. That's only New Zealand. Uh, I do love uh, Emirates. Was it Emirates or Qatar Airways? Mm. They were pretty. They were pretty good. They were pretty good. I ate all the food though on the first big long haul flight, and it's so full of salt. Don't do that because they just kept feeding you, and I was like, "Way, let's go!" And I just kept eating it and kept eating it and kept eating it, and I was like, I was like a dried prune by the time I got off the flight because like, there's so much salt in the food. So don't do that. It's really nice food, but yeah. Good, good advice there. What, what is your favorite food that you've ever tried? Oh, Penang curry, mm. hands down. It was the first time I got that. I was like, "What is this?" And bad memes, obviously, because I got real fat eating them. Um, <laughs> so two of them together. That's yeah. That's 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 me. Love it. I, I we'll... think I'm gonna have to say bad me on there because there's a bit of a French connection there, and I'm French, so I'm gonna pull out. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say bad me. Yeah. And then last question, this could be as long as you want it to be. What makes travel worth it to you personally? Travel it's something that opened my eyes to an awful lot of things and it it, it, it not so much I, I've always been quite accepting of, of new cultures and all that, but it also gives you more of a background of so many more uh, so many different people. And it opens up your mind into um yourself as well. People say, you know, when, when people go traveling, they're, they're going to find themselves and they're kind of lost a little bit. And what I actually found is that you actually find yourself when you kind of come home and after the big trip, because it can be a kind of a reset and what you want to do with your life. For me, it was a big thing that I always wanted to do stand up and wanted to kind of move away from the nine to five kind of job. And I wanted to do something that I really wanted to do. And after traveling and seeing how people live so, you know, alternative lifestyles in terms of what we view as normal as a nine, you know, as a nine to five Monday to Friday, stay in one place. After traveling, it, it did open my eyes that you can actually take much more control over your life and uh, do what you want to do and find ways to make things work for you. And that came off the back of traveling, seeing so many people doing that. So. To me, it wasn't so much you find yourself 
traveling is actually you find yourself in the aftermath because then you go oh that that those experiences changed me and it gave me a completely different view on um on what i wanted to do and and kind of giving yourself the um permission to do that Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this conversation with your friends. You can find me on social media at Travel Worth Living or on the web at TravelWorthLiving.com. I sincerely hope you'll join me again next week for another incredible conversation about travel. I'm Seth Sutherland, and this is Travel Worth Living.